We started a theme for this month, which was called Five. Turn to your neighbor and say Five. Five in the Bible, God's grace, his goodness, and favor towards us. Now, who in here could not use a little bit more grace, goodness, and favor? Mentioned in the Bible five, 318 times. My title today, because I like math, five times five. Their neighbor and say it's five times five. If someone was to come to you and they were to ask you, what is heaven? What is heaven? I wonder how you would explain heaven. I wonder if, if a friend, a family member, if a stranger walking down the street, just out of the blue, walked right up to you and said, what is heaven? I wonder how you, I wonder how I would explain it. The Bible explains a few things that are pretty clear. Number one, heaven, God's dwelling place. Two, it's where Jesus is today. Three, it's where believers and followers of Jesus will go when they die. Four, it's the Father's house. Five, it's a city that is designed and built by God. A better country and also called paradise. Considered as the highest place the holiest place, paradise, in contrast, as many of us know, to what we call the other place, hell, right? The low place, opposite of paradise, and even torment. 73% of adults in America, they believe in heaven. 73% of adults in America say they believe, now let me specify, in a heaven, okay? 73% of adults in America believe in a heaven. 62% believe in hell. 61% of adults believe in heaven and hell. And 17% do not believe in any afterlife at all. 21%, they believe that the spirit energy, when they die, it lives on. 17% believe in reincarnation, going to die and come back a butterfly, caterpillar, you know, a cow, whatever you want to be. 8% believe that we simply just rejoin the universe. Now, interestingly enough, I don't know about you, but I've heard some of these things. I hear them on TV, the universe, spirit energy, reincarnation. How many of us have ever used or ever heard those words? How many songs today that have we heard about heaven? You know, one of the number one most popular songs ever, a Christian song, I Can Only Imagine. And there's a song by... Um, Mercy Me, that wrote, I can only imagine, and it's a beautiful song to think and imagine what it will be like on that day. One of the most popular songs ever. Of course, we know there's a couple other popular songs about heaven. You might have heard of Stairway to Heaven. I don't know. Or how about Knocking on Heaven's Door? Maybe. Heaven's Gate, Heaven is Closed. This morning I bring heaven up because... Sometimes we don't realize that we're all born with a heaven-shaped hole inside of us. And everyone is looking for a heaven. Everyone is looking for a paradise. People are searching. People are expecting. There's a sense that there's something more than just this 
life. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to jump into our first text. And that is Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin, he touched the coffin, the, touch, the torch bearers stopped. The young man, he said, I tell you to get up. Verse 15, and then he said, the dead boy, he sat up and he began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. And great fear swept the crowd and they praised God saying, a mighty prophet has risen among us. God has visited his people today. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. My next text, Luke chapter 8, verse 49. While he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and he told them, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith. She will be healed. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the little girl's father and mother. Verse 52. The house was filled with people weeping, wailing, and he said, stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at Jesus because they all knew she had died. Then Jesus took her by the hand, and he said in a loud voice, My child, get up. At that moment, her life returned, and immediately she stood up. Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what had happened. And then my last text this morning, John 11, verse 38. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. In a cave with a stone, roll the cross its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. Four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? Verse 41. They rolled the stone aside, and then Jesus looked up to heaven, and he said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here, so they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet were bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him. And let him go. So this morning I started with three stories. What do these three stories, what do they have in common? We know that there was three dead people. We know that there was pain, that there was some kind of tragedy. There was a young girl who died. It doesn't say how she died, but for a young girl, we know that she died. There was a young man, a young boy who was already dead and in a coffin. 
Lazarus, one of Jesus' best friends, his, one of his BFFs. This guy was important. That's why he was angry. But one of his best friends died in a tomb, four days. And so in this story, you had three people. You had three groups of people. There was family. They were hurting. They were crying. They were mourning. You had people, Jesus, his disciples, and Jesus obviously never wavering one second, knowing that what he was about to do. And in this story, we see that three people were given and raised from death back to life. I have a customer of mine who, um, he has a restaurant up in Idlewild, and his son, at a young age, got cancer. And probably four or five years they were fighting to get rid of it, and they told him after that four years that the cancer was gone. Recently, he came to find out that his son has cancer again, and he's still a teenager boy. And at this point, for this man and his family, they decided they're going to close the restaurant and they're going to go to Switzerland, where they're from, so that they could say goodbye, so that their family could say goodbye to this young man who has battled cancer half of his life. And I can't imagine, I could imagine, you know, for, for my kids, seeing my young kids, my young, beautiful, handsome, wonderful, amazing kids, just like how you feel about your kids getting sick and then dying and having to make preparations for your kids. Could we even imagine for a second that one of our very young love sons, daughters being passed? You know, for the people in the story that we read this morning, there was a lot of good news. And there was good news because Jesus was a walking power electrical source that so that anyone who came close to Jesus they were healed anyone that touched Jesus's robe got healed anyone that got close next to Jesus instantly healed every single person that Jesus laid his hands on instantly healed instantly delivered and in the story today even three people they were raised from the dead and back to life. Three people that we read about this morning, they were given a brand new beginning. And lastly, these three people in the story, they were given a second chance at life. Now, I don't know if you have kitties, but how many they say kitties have what? Nine lives. As humans, I don't think we have nine lives. I don't think we have nine lives, right? There's many people, it just doesn't happen. There's close calls and then it's just too close and it's gone and it's over. But thankfully, this morning, we have a God and we know a God and we can know a God that his sole purpose, Jesus' main purpose, John 10, 10 said, I came to give Life. Turn to your neighbor and say, I came to give life. Jesus came to give life. Jesus said in John 10, 10, he came to give life. But not only just life, he came to give a rich, satisfying, full life. Turn to your neighbor and say, rich and satisfying. Yes. Many people in our world today, they feel, I am well on my way. I've already discovered how to find that rich, 
satisfying life. If you were to ask people, how would you define life? What is life? I'll never forget a guy that I met when I was 19. His name was Andy. And I asked him, what, what is life? He said, you're born, you go to school, you graduate, you go to college, you get married, you have kids, and you die. And he said, that's life. I'm like, what about the in-between? There's got to be some juicy stuff in there, right? If you were to ask your friends, your family, what is life? For most people, the most common things would say love, money, and some people would say fame. For many, we have been taught and trained in this life it's from birth until the time that we're our age now at 35. What is life about? Finding love, finding money, getting a job, paying bills, all those things. And for some, as we know, with the rise of social media, so many people spend hours and hours and hours and hours trying to become famous. Famous. If Jesus said he came to give life, rich, satisfying, full, but on the other side, most of us were born already automatically and family and friends, culture parents, have told us this is what life is about. Is there a difference with what Jesus say life is and is there a difference with the way that we've been brought up and how life is? How does Jesus give a full life? I'm glad you asked. Mark 8.34 says this. Calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, follow me. If you hang on to your life, you'll lose it. If you give up your life for my sake, you're going to find it. Then you'll save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Now, interestingly enough, that's what I love about Jesus because he's so crazy and awesome. Jesus said, how do we get rich, satisfying life? He said, what? You have to believe, then follow. And then you give up your life. You give up the pursuit of what you think life is. You give up in this life everything. Only then will you find a rich, full, satisfying life. So if we were to think about the three things I mentioned before, the number, the three most popular things people chase. Number one, love. How has love worked for the world? Right? There's love, and how many of us know somebody with a broken heart? Tons. Right? How many people paint the picture? They have the perfect marriage. How many professional athletes who are famous, actors, famous? Next thing you know, within five years, broken, split, divorced. How has the pursuit of love worked for most people? Not very good. How has money, some people, the, the thought of when I get enough money, I'm going to be where I need to be. When I get enough money and I'm ready to retire, I will be where I need to be. But how many of us know people who have hundreds and thousands of dollars? And you know what? Still unhappy. Still lost. What? The pursuit of money didn't cut out? Fame, 
Look what fame has done to people. It's not hard. Turn on TV, read the news. The pursuit of fame for people destroys life, destroys so many people. And so there's two very opposite things happening in life. And, and you have to look at yourself for a second and say, there is a war going on inside of me this morning. That war is the definition of life. The definition of life. God and his word on one side, and he's speaking beautiful, awesome, and amazing words. Follow me. Don't hang to your life. Give up your life. Deny yourself. Oh, that sounds awesome and amazing, right? And then you have the world, and believe it or not, you even have the devil. And then you have culture, and then you have friends, and then you have families saying, pursue money, job, career with everything that you have. Pursue fame. Post yourself on the phone a thousand times a day until you get noticed. You have the pursuit of love, which is the biggest thing in the whole wide world that people are chasing. Love, love, love. <gasps> ah, love. There's such a war within us. And I wonder this morning how many can sense that war. How many of us can sense God's voice trying to direct us in a way, but yet then how many of us can sense another voice and it's trying to also direct us in a different way? You have the kingdom of God and we have the kingdom of the world. Who is at battle? So the question really is, who's right? Who's right? Is God's way, is God's word correct that the way that we find a rich, full, satisfying life is to come to him, to give up our life, to follow after him, to even deny ourselves, take up a cross, to live not trying to hang on to life or what we can gain? Is that what's correct? Or is what we were taught, trained, and born with that we must pursue love, that we must pursue money, that we must pursue our career, that we need to experience all that life has? You know what's sad? I know people in town that have had that mindset, I need to experience everything. And you know what's happened to some of those people? They have mentally gone insane. Wrong place, wrong time. If we have friends, if we have family who are telling us, live, experience, slap them on the face. When I read those words this morning from, from Mark, right before that, Jesus said, if you don't have my mindset, then you have a, he said, a human mindset, which all of us have because we're humans, right? Pinch your neighbor, say you're human. But if God's the only one that offers a full, rich, and satisfying life, if God alone, if God alone only can truly make us rich, satisfying, and full, the question is, why do we ignore him? then why do we ignore him? 
If there's a war going on inside of us and we're driven so hard for this over here, all the while God's voice is over here saying, you're wasting your time in what you're chasing, the pursuit. Then why do we ignore him? Which brings us this morning to the beautiful Easter story. If you have your Bibles, Matthew 28, starting in verse 1. Early Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake. Now, if we can do something for a second, we're all mainly sitting down, right? But if you can just stomp your feet, if all of us could just start stomping our feet, if you're good with it, start stomping your feet for a second. And, and then... And then let's pick it up a little bit. Try if you can, if without hurting yourself, because I don't want no one to fall over dead this morning. Stomp a little harder. Early on Sunday morning, as the day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. The earthquake. The ground is shaking. And an angel of the Lord came down. Rolled away the stone. And he sat on it. An angel rolled away the stone, something that it took like 10 men to do. The angel simply just pushed it and rolled away the stone. His face was shining like lightning. The angel's clothes white as snow. The guards, they shook with fear when they saw him. And they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman, don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified, but he isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Just as he said would happen, come see where his body was lying. Now go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. He's going ahead of you to Galilee, and you will see him there. Remember what I have told you. Verse 8. The woman ran quickly from the tomb. They're very frightened, but also filled with joy. They rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and they worshipped him. Jesus said to them, don't be afraid, but go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. And this morning, as this is Resurrection Sunday, turn to your neighbor and say, Resurrection Sunday. You know, sometimes, for many of us, as we know, service, church, Sundays, it's different for so many people. There's a hustle, there's a bustle, there's getting dressed, there's showering for some of us. Of course, there's brushing teeth, coffee being made, right? Kids to be cleaned. How many of us, Sunday mornings, there could be a hustle and it's crazy and it's busy and there's so many things happening. Just like there was in this story, Mary, she was going to find Jesus, but she went to the wrong place. Mary, as she gets there, there's a great earthquake and the whole ground is shaking. There was something massive happening in this moment. There was so much exciting excitement. The angel, he said it was shining like lightning. It was bright. It was vivid. 
I don't know why you're looking for Jesus because he's not here. Just like in the beginning, I said many were born with a heaven-shaped hole, and they're trying to find the heaven or what they think their heaven is to fill that. The ladies went looking for Jesus, not going to the right place because they didn't realize. Even though Jesus told them over and over again, I'm going to die, but I will rise again, they didn't listen. Just like many of us in here this morning, no matter how many times we hear the truth, sometimes we don't listen. This earthquake. The guards, of course, they passed out. They had too much. They couldn't handle it. And in this moment, it changed everything. In this moment, after 33 and a half years of living, Jesus says he became the sacrifice. In what way? Why would he become the sacrifice? If you know the Old Testament, God set up a temple. It was a mobile, not, not mobile phone, a mobile temple that moved around. And as they're in the desert, God set up sacrifices so that priests would make these sacrifices. And sacrifices were made. So as people sinned and made mistakes, there was times they would come and they would bring animals and they would offer them to God and say, God, forgive me. You know, I screwed up again. I'm sorry. And so there were sacrifices in the temple. Until this day where Jesus became the sacrifice that would end all sacrifices. In the Old Testament, see, it was a symbol and it was a picture of what was to come, which was Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right through God, to God, through Christ Jesus. This beautiful picture in the Old Testament, Jesus said, I'm sinless, I'm perfect, and I'm giving myself for you. And when you believe in me, and when you follow after me, God will now view you, view you as being perfect, perfect and sinless as well. God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ Jesus. As Jesus made the sacrifice to end all sacrifices, he gave himself for me. He gave himself for you so that that heaven-shaped hole inside of us, it could, be, it could be consumed and it could be filled with Jesus who was, what did he say? The way, the truth, and the life. Jesus who said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Jesus who said, I'm the light of the world. Jesus who said, I'm the gate. I'm the gate for anybody who wants to come in and find life. Romans 8, 11, one of my favorite verses ever. It says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead can live in you. Just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies, the same spirit living with you. Paul such a powerful verse. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same Holy Spirit, he said, is available for you. It's available for me, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. He will give life. 
So no matter how many times we work out, it may make us feel good and look good for a little while, but that's going to fall off. No matter how healthy we eat, and I like to eat healthy, it's wonderful and it feels good. It doesn't matter, my body will still fall off at some point. No matter what effort we put into love, no matter what effort we put into money, no matter what effort we put into making a name for ourselves, it will all drop off. The only thing, Paul, Jesus, say the words, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, he's available for you. This spirit will give life to your body. And so we wrap up this morning. Number one, we remind ourselves, I'm made with a heaven-shaped hole, and only God could fill that hole. I asked, what if our friends ask us, what's heaven like? What's it about? Where is it? We all are born with a curiosity. We're all curious people, and we all have that same desire. There is a heaven-shaped hole inside of us that only God can fill. Number two, we remind ourselves that there's a war within me. There's a battle within me. I have truth, and then I have myself and everybody else over here. They all want to tell me what to do. I want to tell myself what to do. My friends want to tell me what to do. Culture wants to tell me what to do. And then there's God's word. So who do I listen to? Who do I ignore? Number three, the longer we wait, the more you pay. How many of us have ever taken out a loan and it had interest? Now, one of the nice things about when you buy a house, you do get it right off your interest every year, right? But there are other loans, there are people, there are sharks out there that when you take a loan from them, what do they want to do? They want to charge you more interest. And you know what happens? The longer it takes to pay, what is it? The more money, the more money you're going to what? Spend. You see, this morning, some of us have made the commitment to believe in Jesus, but we haven't made the commitment to follow Jesus. Believing in Jesus says we open up our heart, we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. The Bible says you become saved. And one day when you die, you will pass from this life to next. Everyone who believes, it will send you to a better place when you go. But see, not everyone is then tasting heaven on earth now because they're ignoring the truth that needs to be followed. There's a difference between believing and following. What did Jesus say constantly? Follow after me. And so this morning, the question is, am I believing and following or have I just believed? Because the longer I ignore the truth, the more interest I'm going to pay on this earth. I'm going to cause suffering for myself. And I'm going to cause suffering for my friends. And I'm going to cause suffering for my family. Because I'm ignoring the truth. It's truth. Jesus said, remember, how do I get a rich, full, satisfying life? Give up your life. 
Give up the pursuit of what you think life is. Give it up. Stop hanging on to what you see. Stop chasing after love, money, fame. Because the longer you wait, the more interest you're going to pay. So if you're a believer, amen, hallelujah, you're going to go to heaven. But are you tasting heaven today? For many, they would say, yeah, it's pretty good. But it's not if you're not following this book. And I wonder this morning how much truth do we allow to obey? No one in here is perfect. I'm not perfect. There's things that I do and I make mistakes, right? But it's in choosing to follow that we get to see, that we get to taste heaven here and now. So this morning my title was called Five Times Five. Turn to your neighbor and say Five Times Five. When we started this theme, we know that five stands for grace, goodness, and favor. And how many of us, we would raise our hand and say, yes, I could use a little bit more grace, goodness, and favor. So what's five times five? Glad you asked. It's grace built upon more grace. Grace built upon more grace. Jesus, in the Old Testament, we know that there's how many commandments? Ten commandments. The first five directed towards our relationship towards God. Second five directed towards our relationship towards what? People. God this morning, he's saying life takes grace. To understand I am forgiving all moments at all times. And in return, all I ask is then you be forgiving with every single person on this planet. Grace upon grace. John 1.16, from God's abundance, we have received one gracious blessing after another. In the Amplified Version, it says this, out of his fullness, abundance, we have received and all had a share. We are all supplied with one grace after another. Spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing. Even favor upon favor. And gift heaped up upon gift. And so as we close and get ready to pray this morning, the question I ask you this morning, have you fully believed? And believing it does get you a ticket to heaven. But secondly, asking yourself, but have I followed in the pursuit of the life that God wants me to live? Not the pursuit of the life I want to live. Have I chosen to follow? And with that, let's pray.